thanks everyone for tuning into another episode of Selling to Friends. Uh, as you are, probably all know, I am joined by my co-host, John Simeon. John, you brought another guest on today. I'm going to turn it over to you if you want to just make a quick introduction. I did, yeah. Matt Richardson is here with us today. Um, Matt and I work together at HCSS. He's worked across several different industries within the uh, tech world, um, started his journey in Seattle, and I'll kind of let him dive into that a bit more. Hey, Matt, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys, for having me. Um, yeah, I've been in sales for probably around 13 years, started in Seattle. I've done all kinds of different software sales, online sales. I've done media sales. Uh, most recently, I've done mostly software sales. Uh, I worked with John at HCSS, like he said, and I'm at ADP right now, so it's selling one of the biggest software platforms out there. And um, yeah, I'm obviously uh, excited to be here and, and see what you guys have for me. You've worked at a quite a different uh, kind of spread of of companies. What what got you to kind of jump from something like construction software with HCSS over to you know ADP, which is pretty pretty well known as as being sort of an HR technology supplier. Yeah, so uh, I think of it all still as still kind of in the same line of technology and software. It's uh, a lot of times with software, it's not that you're selling something tangible. You're usually selling them a lot of times on how to operate their business and how to conduct themselves and how to be more uh, more productive. So I think that's what software brings to people a lot of times. That's what ADP does. That's what HCSS does. It's what a lot of software does. You're not selling something that they can physically touch and see. It's you need to operate your business differently. And this is a software that enables you to do it. So um, that's kind of the path that I've gone on. So, And Matt, you know, it's uh, that's that's a great kind of segue into what you and I were talking about before we got on here. Um, just about it's not something people can touch and feel, but you need a way to keep them engaged throughout a sales cycle. And we were kind of talking a little bit and I can vouch for Matt in this point. He's very good at drawing on people, you know, um, we'll call it almost like a storytelling process. And Matt, do you want to kind of dive into a little bit about that? Yeah, that's, that's just something that I like to do. I think everybody just humans by their nature, they like to hear a story, like to see something that they can relate to. When you're watching a movie, you pull and you see characters that you like and you relate it to your situation. Uh, you can do that in a sales process as well. Like you said, keeping people engaged. Um, also, when you're talking to people and you're selling with a story, uh, it it's a good way to give yourself credibility. So, hey, you know, Mr. Business Owner, uh, I know that you're in this situation. We had something very similar with XYZ company right up the street where they were dealing with this. Um, this is what happened with them. And this was the result. What happens with you if you guys, you know, go down that path and things like that. So uh, storytelling can be really engaging. So usually when I go into a sale, I'll have a couple stories in the back of my mind that I can touch on uh, that, you know, based on their industry or, or the type of business that they're uh, conducting, I know I have stories to draw on that they can directly relate to that shows that I've dealt with it before and that my product has solved a problem that they have. Yeah. And that's a, a great point. I, I'd say when you go into those meetings, Matt, you, we all have ideas in the back of our head of what mm -hmm. we consider people's problems to be, right? It's just human nature. Um, how, tell me about a time if you can that, you know, you've gone into a meeting and things weren't exactly as planned and how you kind of pivoted um, in that story process? 
as far as like they weren't planned, I can I can give you a good example of something here recently. We were dealing with a company that uh, had multiple locations, and some of the locations were out of state. The ADP, we're doing human capital management. We help people with compliance and how to conduct their business. And they had uh, gone out of state and opened offices. They didn't know that the rules were radically different in different states. So they faced all kinds of penalties, all kinds of fines, things like that. So we came in afterwards to kind of help them clean up the mess, which we did. If they had consulted with us beforehand, we could have avoided a lot of penalties and fees. Now, the next time I'm going into a conversation, uh, you guys are looking to expand and go to, to you know, put offices in out of state. We just built with these guys over here. They wanted to, they opened up offices in Louisiana and Florida. They didn't know the rules were different. They faced these penalties right here. If you guys face those kind of penalties, how is that going to affect you? So now they're thinking tangible, about, right? yeah, it makes it tangible. It makes it makes them realize that, uh, first of all, I know what I'm talking about and that I've dealt with it and that there's things that are outside of their scope that they might not be able to handle. So um, I don't know if that directly answers your question, but usually if every time you have a sale and you're going to the next person, you can find a little tidbit of information that'll help the next guy a little bit. So, so I, I had a question around this. What, what reaction are you seeing from, from customers? Because there's a lot of times that I go into a meeting and I feel like I'm rocking it. I feel like the conversation's going really well. And there's obviously not a lot. There's, some, there's not a lot that they're volunteering. And I actually saw an example of this in a call a couple of days ago where we were doing a business review with a client that we had sold a package to last year. And the head of applications brought up to us, he said, so we, we get the basic functionality of your platform, but what are you, what are your customers doing and others doing that's actually working for them? Because we're trying to think about new ways to implement this. So in situations like that, you can clearly understand, okay, the knowledge of a customer and what they're doing is something that this person cares about. But what sort of validation are you receiving when you're having those conversations and you proactively bring up those stories and proactively see that? How do you see that validated as something that's beneficial and something that is really resonating with the, the prospective customer? Um, as far as how they're validating that the story that I'm telling them is something that they can relate to. Exactly. Is that, um, well, hopefully I tell them a story that doesn't, you know, that has something to do with what they're going through. So if they give me something right off the bat that I know I have a story that I can link to them, then I'll do it. You know, if, if you tell them a story that has nothing to do, you know, what does this have to do with the price of tea in China? Then it's not going to, it's not going to resonate with them. But um, if you can, and another thing I like to do too is, is name drop. It's like, yeah, we're, we're dealing with, you know, you know, specific company name here. We're dealing with HCSS. These guys were going through this. If they can recognize a name and that a company that they're either hopefully competitors with was going through the same thing and fix their problem, then, you know, also they can feel like maybe they're behind the ball a little bit, which puts a little bit more urgency into the situation. So I like to name drop. I like to try to get a, a story as close to their industry and, and their issue as I possibly can. That that usually resonates. And I think that's, that's a good thing. Oh, go uh, I'm going to add one more thing to this, John. So I think that's a good thing that kind of ties back into what you said before. Uh, so the reason I asked that question, you mentioned it is like, obviously just throwing out an unrelated story is something that's not going to resonate. You know, I'm in an industry where I could be selling to a retail company one day and then uh, like a recruiting yeah, firm, so I'm, I'm trying to mm -hmm. tell the same story. 
I mean, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. So to mm-hmm. that point is sort of reading between the lines, the importance of being prepared and mm-hmm. to your point, name dropping or stories and making sure that your wealth of knowledge is really there before mm-hmm. going into the conversation and not just ba- banking on some sort of canned response or canned story that they're just going to gloss over and ignore. Yeah, right. we're selling to all different kinds of, I'm selling to all different kinds of industries. It might be a law firm today. It might be an HVAC company the next day. Um, usually if I can find a story that deals with their people or with their money, not with actually what they're doing, that'll usually resonate with them. So like with, with John or with like companies where it's like, we have a software that, you know, we're selling to one group of people. It's easier to collect these stories and they all know each other a lot more. So it's it's sometimes a little bit easier that way, but it also has its own little trip ups, you know, having to deal with the one industry. So. And, and Matt, I think that's a perfect point. You know, industry-specific stories can be powerful, but across industries, we all deal with people, money, and, or capital, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it be human capital or whether it be financial capital. Mm-hmm. That's something that anybody running a business can relate to. And so being able to do that across industries, I think, is really um, kind of a, a home run if you get something like that. Totally. And going off of um, keeping customers engaged, I think the the other point we were talking about and discussing was getting customers engaged, right? It's one thing after you've got them on the phone and they're willing to talk to you. We were also talking a little bit about how do you get these people engaged and get them to to talk to you? Um, You know, last week or two weeks ago, Roman and I had a guest on and we were discussing, you know, the hated LinkedIn pitch and connect. As soon as I connect with somebody, I'm launching into a sales pitch. And, you know, that's not what the platform's for. That's not why people are there. Um, So how do you go about getting people to where they'll listen to these stories and and stay actively engaged? We'll do the pitch and try to connect. I send out LinkedIn invites like M&Ms, like I just hand them out to everybody. But um, I a better way to use LinkedIn and to get people engaged is, and I know I've, I've heard you use this, John, before, is is maybe not just looking for the connection on LinkedIn, looking for more information on LinkedIn that'll give you a trigger or a reason to talk to this person. So if you have a territory or you have an industry or a block of people that you want to uh, get in with, follow those people on LinkedIn. See, like for me, if they have a change of leadership if they're opening new offices, if they're laying off, I'm looking for these triggers that'll give me a reason to say, hey, I saw this X, Y, and Z. So now I can write a direct message specific to the person. Hey, I saw that this happened. We've worked with people in very similar industries. We've worked with, you know, John's plumbing. They went through the same thing and and we're able to help them. I want to sit down and talk to you guys about it. You know, when's a good time? So uh, instead of just a spray and pray, LinkedIn's a great way to find good triggers. Another good way is if if you have, like me, I'm working within a territory. So I know the companies in this territory that I can work with. I know the top people that I want to engage and get in front of. Um, another thing that I'll do just for a few of them is set up Google Alerts. So if I see their name pop up in the news, they put out an article, they're doing a, a turkey giveaway, Great. Any reason that I can find to talk to them instead of just sending them a generic email, if you can find those triggers, they're instantly going to be more engaged because it's a specific message directly to them. So um, that's a, a good way to get, you know, good engagement first part. Yeah. 
I and I love it, right? The the Google alerts, the finding a reason to actually talk to somebody on a person to person level, right? It's not just a hey, I'm trying to just hit you up to hit you up. It's hey, I see what you're going through. How are you planning on managing that? Or just starting the conversation as simply as I saw you did a turkey giveaway. That's awesome, man. You know, how how are your, you know, whether it be your customers or your um, internal people, you know, how, how did that go? How'd that go over, right? All of a sudden, I'm engaged. It's something I'm excited about and passionate about. Also, something you did there, John, that you probably didn't even realize is uh, you said you had a turkey giveaway. How did that go? So you're not saying, hey, I want, do you want to meet next Thursday? First, you're not asking a yes or no question so that they can just tell you no. You're asking an open-ended question that forces them to give you a better answer. It gets them more engaged. Now you're starting a conversation instead of them just going straight towards no. So open-ended questions is, is huge for me. So I think, I think everything you mentioned here so far, Matt, is, is really, really awesome. Because it, obviously getting that initial engagement is something that's really important. Um, quick question. How long is the typical sales cycle that you've experienced over the course of your sales career? I know that can really vary depending on what you're you're working on. It does really vary. So right now in the position that I'm in, this is probably one of the longer sales cycles that I've I've had in my career. Um, I've gone, I've had jobs where the sales cycle can be one to 30 days. This sales cycle that I'm in is probably three to six plus months okay. for uh, to get the deal done. So that's, so there's, there's a, the reason I'm asking that. So I, um, initially started my sales career and, and John, you as well in small business yep. sales, where to your point, it could be a day or it could be 30 days. And now I'm over in a role that is more of an enterprise sales role where it's pretty standard to expect six months to 18 months as part of the cycle. And stories are definitely something that you can involve, uh, but you don't want it to become reading rainbow after a while. So you want to make sure that you're uh, employing a lot of different strategies. So thinking about that long sales cycle, obviously building rapport with the customer is a big thing. Having them you know, have faith in you is a big thing. So obviously that's where the credibility comes in with the stories. But then there's just going to be small things along the way to make sure that they're staying engaged. So to give you an example, let's say, Hey, you were talking to a customer. They said, hey, coronavirus affected our business. We're not going to be available to talk for six months. How do you prevent them from losing interest and forgetting about you and going to a competitor? How do you make sure you stay involved with them even when you aren't actively selling? Yeah, that's a, a really, really good point because somebody could say, yeah, this is something that I'm interested in. Coronavirus, we're not, our fiscal doesn't end until, you know, whatever. We don't have, this isn't the time frame right now. They hang up the phone. They've already forgot who you are. So there's a few different things that you can do for selling in between events. And the event being your first initial contact, you recognize a need, but their time frame isn't, you know, or is a little far off. Or even let's say you start a sales cycle that just takes a long time. There's a lot of different things that you can do to do kind of like soft touches and, and sell in between events to where uh, you're top of mind. They know what you're talking about. They know uh, you're giving them something that's uh, relatable to their business or their industry. So just for example, let's say uh, you're working or you're working with an HVAC company and it's a longer sales process. You've started the sales process um, in between you doing your analysis meetings, your executive overviews, things like that. Uh, to your point of contacts, 
you know, find something that's industry specific or a white paper, shoot them an email and say, hey, I saw this article, thought about you guys right away. It's a good read. Just something as soft as that. It usually will do the trick. Um, and industry specific articles, white papers, um, things like that, where you can show them that you're thinking about them. And when the time comes, it's the first thing on my mind is, oh, yeah, we have to talk to Matt. It's not like, oh, what was that guy's name or who should I go to? You, you've kept in constant contact with them and you've kept them engaged. Just that's a good way to do it, I, I think, with just articles and things like that. And Matt, I think that's a great point. And I think a lot of that, um, what people don't realize is when sales cycles start to extenuate when they get longer, the focus becomes staying top of mind, right? Like you said, but how do you do that? You, you mentioned the actual actions, but what people I think don't understand or a lot of sales reps struggle with is this is something that takes constant planning. I, it, it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by happenstance. You're setting those Google alerts for industry-specific articles. You're making sure you take the time to pull those up and say, oh, I haven't reached out to this guy in two, three weeks. You know, I'm not pitching him anything, but I want to make sure that we stay connected and we stay in touch. And one thing to, to add, so I really like all the ideas that you shared, Matt, but as everyone starts moving more remote. I know people are getting a lot more active on LinkedIn, but especially people who, you know, are in sales who, so if you're trying to sell to a VP, you can be pretty sure that that VP or director is going to be active on LinkedIn. Now, one additional thing that has worked for me, um, if you're open to a little bit more annoyance from LinkedIn notifications is turning on all notifications for LinkedIn. So you can get job change notifications, anniversary notifications, birthday notifications. And then what you can do is use that information and go in and still personalize that message. So let's say for instance, someone gets promoted or someone has a work anniversary. You go to that post, you see everybody is using those canned congrats so-and-so, yes. congrats so-and-so, congrats so-and-so. That's your opportunity to jump in and do something a little bit more personal or wish them a happy birthday. And just those little things that can keep you top of mind that really are opened up um, with tools like LinkedIn that can create that ongoing personal touch and keeping you, you top of mind. But I wanted to share and that because I know that's something that's worked for me. And Roman, I think that's perfect the way you said it too, right? It's everybody's using the one-click response. If you take the time to actually sit down and write out a message, it could be just as simple as, hey man, happy birthday. Hope this year is prosperous for you. One extra line or whatever than what the automated message puts in, that guy's going to open that and go, oh, he didn't just click a button. He actually sat down and typed something, you know? Exactly. Yeah, that's good. That's a good nugget too to look to see the job changes one is a, a big one for me. That's like a, a secret little note. When people change jobs, they can they'll usually take their ideas with them or get rid of the old ideas. So that's usually a good point, a good trigger right there. And Matt, do you think it's and this is something that I've bounced back and forth on in my own sales outreach, reaching out to people who have changed jobs. And, and just saying like, hey, man, saw you switch jobs. I know you were at that firm for a long time. What happened? It, you know, that, that sort of thing. I think it really depends on your relationship with the individual, right? Yeah. Yeah. That all depends on the relationship. I've worked with people where I can be like, hey, man, what, what happened over there? You know, and sometimes right. I'll, I'll get 
all the skinny on what they're doing over there. And he's, and then I've got my foot in the door at the new place. And sometimes you have to handle it more gingerly of, Hey, congratulations. Saw you had a new role, you know, let's grab lunch sometime, something, well, not with COVID anymore, but you know, you can handle it with the relationship that you have with them. Right. So let's, let's pivot here a little bit. I know one of the, John, you, you brought this up to me the other day as, as something you were discussing with Matt, but the focus on prospecting the right way. So I know a lot of it we've kind of talked about here uh, with, you know, how you're actually doing those touches in between, how you're having that initial engagement. But as you look at your territory um, and as you start planning how you're going to strategically tackle that, what are some things that you do that you think sort of define prospecting the right way for your approach? I, I think I've tried everything under the sun as far as prospecting goes and there's no magic bullet for it. Um, the way that I think is effective for a lot of people is to build out, find your accounts and put them in some kind of a rotation to where they're getting touches. A lot of people think that if you cold call somebody once or twice and you can't get a hold of them, they shuffle them out. Um, I like to figure out the top targets in my territory and then try to map them out. So I know XYZ company is a top uh, high quality prospect for me. Okay. Who's the CEO? Who's the decision makers? Who are all the people inside of the company? And then approach it that way and find out um, the best way to get in because you're not always going to get in with the person that's writing the checks. You might have to gather cheerleaders along the way that, you know, when they answer their phone, they know who you are. They know what you want. You gain a little bit more information from them. You know, how many employees do you guys have again? And they said they were looking to do this. Has, has anything changed? So um, you don't necessarily have to get straight in with the decision maker. Um, if you map out the company and find out how they, the, inner, the inner workings of it are, that's a much better way to prospect and, and to do that with every single company. I would add quickly to that, respect the hierarchy. So I've mm -hmm. seen it happen before. I've done it myself where I enter into a deal. There's someone I've been working with for a while who's not necessarily the decision maker, but has been a huge champion of getting us into the deal and into the company. The, the, sure, like the surest way to ruin that is to go in, have that meeting finally with the decision maker, and then completely just diss the person mm -hmm. who brought you in and who's been your champion the whole time and say, okay, no longer talking to you okay, where's the money at? How can I close this deal? So I think that's the thing too is yes, that's a great approach. But even when you do get to the decision maker, remember how you got there and be respectful of those relationships along the way. Absolutely, Roman. And, and you touched on a point that I was just about to bring up, right? And it goes back to what we constantly talk about is we're selling to people, right? And if you completely disregard somebody after you get what you want from them, how's that going to make that person feel? They were your best friend, they might all of a sudden be singing a different tune if you, you know, just write them off. And Matt, I'm going to circle back to something you had said um, in the beginning, you know, when you're talking about making sure you have your list of accounts and the list of your target accounts and you're cycling through those and constantly trying to get engagement in some way, shape or form. You're right. Most people write that off relatively quickly. If I'm not getting a response from someone it's easy to say, okay, this might not be worth the effort. But I, I was reading a statistic, and this is, I think, a known fact now. It takes 12 to 25 touches to get into a new account just to start the conversation. And I think that a lot of people, um, going back to prospecting the right way, 
are do, using those 12 to 25 touches now that it's kind of a known as, all right, I'm just going to set up a automated email or an automated thing that's going to ping this person 12 times. And if they don't respond, oh, well, I did my 12 to 25 touches, right? And it's just a box to check as opposed to what we were talking about prospecting the right way, getting that information, adding value in each touch, not just doing it to do it, not going through the motions. So I told you I was going to give you guys a couple of my recommendations. Uh, what you just described, they have, they describe here in fanatical prospecting as well. It's every time that you're contacting a prospect, you're moving the ball down the field just a little bit. It's also obviously giving you your name recognition and repetition every time you call or email them. You're staying in front of mind that way too, but um, also, this book has a bunch of good ideas for, you know, emails and what you should be emailing, the kind of voicemails that you should leave and what you're supposed to be uh, getting out of your prospecting sessions. So, um, but yes, yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> right. Every, every, you're not Russell Wilson, right? Every time I go out and, and drop a bomb, it's not going to be a 25 yard pass. I'm, I might be doing a little dump <laughs> exactly. off, you know, you three, yards, yeah. three yards mm-hmm. at a time, right? Uh, exactly. A little bit more like Ryan Fitz, Fitzpatrick. Sorry, you got me on the football train now. So it's like you have a great game, then you then you get benched for a couple games. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. you you brought me exactly. down that path. And a lot of times too, you can gauge by the you know with the person that you're talking to on the phone if you know the knowledge that they have the situation that you're trying to get into. So yeah, moving the ball down the field, just chipping away. You know, map out your account, know who you need to talk to. That's I think the best way to approach it. Awesome. Well, I know we've, we've talked about quite a bit today, Matt, but uh, I guess kind of one last thing. I know John and I are still very early in our sales career, only a couple years in. So looking at the 13 years that you've had, what are some maybe big pieces of advice um, that you would recommend for maybe pursuing certain learnings or um, really fine-tuning best habits? I know you brought up Fanatical Prospecting. It's a great mm-hmm. book with some awesome advice. Anything else come to mind that you uh, kind of would leave with, with the audience today? Yeah. Um, I would say just keep sharpening your tools, pick up a book, read books, listen to audio books when you're in the car, especially if you're in outside sales, when you're driving somewhere, um, you know, listen to something that's going to put a little extra tool in your toolbox. Even if you listen to something for an hour and you get that one thing, that one little nugget that helps you, you know, any way that you can improve, that's great. Um, sales can, can be a grind and, and just keep smiling and dialing, I guess. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to, to wrap it. Matt, thanks again for, for joining in. And uh, I'm sure you're probably excited to hear yourself. I've gotten a little bit used to my voice at this point doing a couple podcasts. <laughs> I don't want to hear but... myself. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thanks again, Matt. And uh, thanks to everyone who listened in. Keep a lookout for more episodes. And uh, as always, thanks for the support.